Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. Today, I am honored and so happy to have my friend Brandilyn Barnett on the show. I have personally known Brandilyn for, I believe, at least five years now. For those of you that are tuning in this episode, Brandilyn is the author of a new book called Dreams Deferred. He is also the lead at, of corporate social responsibility industry solutions within salesforce.org's philanthropy cloud and the founder of Democratize Ventures. Brandilyn, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to give a big shout out to Global Impact and Scott Jackson and the team over there because that's how we first met. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. Yes. Um, you know, I know that the book is a newer project that that you put out fairly recently, and I'd like for you to just start off just sharing why write it, you know, and then I want to get into your different roles and things that you've had, but you've been able to accumulate a lot of experience, and I really related to a lot of aspects of this book, just you and I are practically the same age, although we came up with totally different backgrounds. So anyway, with all that being said, why, why write this book? Yeah, so the book is really about my struggles before, during, and just after the, the 08 recession. You know, I took a job working with an NGO that I believed in and trusted me enough, even though I was just out of college, to send me all over the world, evaluating and creating programs. Uh, but I made a pittance, and I really struggled to pay my student loans while also helping my mom with rent. And despite all those struggles, though, I really just wanted to do work that mattered and was meaningful to communities that made the world better, that helped others like I've been helped. So instead of switching careers, I just doubled down on that dream. And for me, I wrote the book for two reasons. The first was that when I think back to my experience, you know, at one point I'd started a spreadsheet and I'd sent hundreds of job applications for roles with virtually no response at all, large and small foundations, nonprofits, federal agencies. I even took and passed the foreign service exams, but then after a year of excruciating waiting, I was told I had too much student loan debt. You know, I'd missed a couple of payments to help my mother with rent. Um, and so through all that, I really reached a rock bottom. I, I lost hope. And so the first reason I wrote the book was just thinking about others out there like me who are perhaps dealing with, especially after the past year and a half we've been through with COVID-19 and the associated economic disaster that's affected a lot of people's livelihoods. I mean, both things are real and need to be um, considered. And I wanted to provide some inspiration, some hope, some sense for those struggling through those times like I did, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that they can get there. It only takes one job. It only takes uh, one person to believe in you and you can follow through and get to a place where you don't have to necessarily think about ending your life or giving up on your dreams. You can make it through. So I wanted to provide some hope and inspiration in the world for anyone going through what I went through. The second reason that I wrote the book is that I don't think my journey should have been that difficult. And I wanted to shed light on how hard it can be for people to find purchase in the social impact space that we are now so fortunate to occupy and to do good work in, for people to find jobs that they can sustain them and their families within the social impact space. I wanted to be a voice to talk about how we create an access for different populations to careers that make the world a better place. 
And so those were the two major reasons I wrote the book. I think it's very relevant. Look, I think a lot of what was happening around 08 and 09, in many aspects, today's world and our economy is different. Other aspects, I think things are really similar. And I, and I'm just talking just in general, the job prospects coming out of college, you know, that's what I can really relate to. When I read your story about, you know, initially you knocking on a lot of doors, just trying to advocate for yourself and get your foot in the door. It reminded me what it was like coming out of college for me. You know, I, I graduated in spring of 2008 and then by, and the job market was not great. Bear Stearns had already fallen. And then you fast forward, um, that, that fall. So I graduated in the spring of 08 and that fall of, of 08 was when Lehman went under. So it was just a disastrous turn of events. And, you know, obviously really difficult if you're brand new to the job market. Um, I'm curious from your perspective now, I mean, I'm super impressed with where you've gone even since we've met, right? And you have a pretty significant role on the philanthropy cloud team in the corporate social responsibility side of Salesforce. Um, What were some of the things that you've learned along the way to get you to where you are? And also, you know, just having some candid conversations with you, to me, it seems like you're the type of person that always wants to to, to see what else is out there. How do I improve myself? You know, what are new things that are exciting? So how are you continuing to keep yourself motivated? Cause I feel like this career stuff to me, it's always an evolving thing. I think a lot of people that are coming out of college, like probably want to get that perfect job and they want to make, but it's not always perfect as you go. And you're always kind of learning new things and here you've, you know, held a handful of different positions over the past, whatever it's been now, 15 or so years. So Talk talk us a little bit through that journey and and what do you have to share on that regard? I mean, the first thing I have to share, you know, I've kind of said this wherever I can in radio interviews and to whomever will listen. But the first thing I think I I know now that I wish I'd known when my journey began is that I was not alone. And there were so many times where I was looking for a place to to sleep on the street um, because I couldn't afford to get back home you know, at one point, I, that's the opening chapter of the book. Uh, there are other places where I needed help. And there were times I did ask, but there were so many instances where I tried to go it alone and I could have gotten help from mentors, people who believed in me, and I just didn't ask. And so the first lesson I tell folks is that you are not alone. So I have been honored to have people reach out to me through social media and other channels to share their stories, ask for advice, and I've been doing everything I can to make sure I can be a resource. But for anyone listening, you are not alone. And that is just one of the most fundamental lessons I think that I've learned. And it applies to you as you're thinking about your career, your financial life, your health, but it also applies to work. Um, You know, great teams are required to get good work done. So the idea that you're not alone is core. The second to me is, asking why I want to do the things I want to do. So when I first started my career, I had some very specific job titles and sort of roles that I wanted to fulfill. I wanted to be a chief of party uh, doing international development work. 
I wanted to potentially be a foreign service officer. And I attached so much meaning to those titles. And then at one point, as I was getting all of those rejections, as I could not find purchase in the, the, the space that I wanted to work in and have an impact in, I really just took a step back and said, why do I want those titles? Why do I want to do that work? When I did that analysis for me, what I really began to connect with was how much of my personality had been shaped by things that happened as I was younger. So I realized I was a nerd. <laughs> I mean, I knew I was a nerd before that, but it really began to strike me that what I really wanted to create was a world that was more similar to those worlds I'd admired and read about in science fiction. Star Trek The Next Generation and leaving out the Civil War arc Babylon 5. And, you know, I saw the difference between the world we lived in and the worlds that we aspired to in our fiction. And I wanted to be part of creating that. And once I took a step back and realized that that was why I wanted to do the things I wanted to do, it really opened up the world for me for new kinds of roles because I realized that it wasn't just those titles, it wasn't just those organizations that were doing work that led to that outcome that moved for me resources to people who needed them so they could reach their full potential and help create that world. It was all kinds of jobs. It was social enterprises like Charity Charge. It was companies like Salesforce with salesforce.org who were thinking about how they could have an impact on their stakeholders, their employees and others in the world through their products, through the grants that they make, um, even as they are not traditional grant makers or foundations. It was a whole variety of different a universe of new roles, new opportunities, new companies that I could actually become a part of, kind of open up my options, get enough money to be able to take care of myself and my family and make an impact. And so understanding that why helped me to see that there were more paths to the end result that I wanted than I had been limiting myself to. And then the third thing was once I learned that, the advice I always give folks, and I outlined this in more detail in the book, is to make a map. So once I knew that there was this broader universe, who were the people that I wanted to talk to, to learn about their work? What were the organizations? What conferences do they go to? Just a literal real world map of people that I want to kind of imagine uh, like an RPG or something, staying on the nerd thing, that I kind of wanted to walk around and, and talk to and get to know and uh, read about. And then I immersed myself in building that map and walking through the different paths that became available to me as I just opened my mind to broader possibilities. I love what you just shared there. And there's a couple of things that I think are awesome about it. Top of mind, I wrote down two words here, curious and, and always learning, maybe three yeah. words, I guess there, but two <laughs> kind of phrases because yeah, that curiosity. I love the RPG style thing. I mean, a lot of times I think about life as, um, as sort of a game. I mean, I just try to get like zoom out and try to get to 40,000 feet and just think about, you know, my life sometimes from like a third party perspective. And it's yeah. just like, it's really fascinating. So I love the RPG analogy. The, well, the bigger you know, point the other thing that I, feel compelled to, to talk about, which is how all of this has been impacted and changed by the past year and a half by COVID-19 and what it's done to the world. And I think, I think it's more important than ever to infuse purpose in work because so many people are wondering what's the purpose of the work that they're doing? Why are they devoting their time to, com to companies and organizations that 
haven't caught up to how you need to operate in the modern world, how you need to respect your, the well-being of your employees, your stakeholders. Whole industries are just now waking up to how important it is to do that. And so I think a part of the, you know, a part of this whole conversation is inevitably affected by, I think that's the one enduring change that's going to come out of this last year and a half. People's relationship to work is going to be different, not just because we're working from home, but because we really want to know what's the purpose. Well, let's know? go there. So, yeah. you know, one of the big headlines in, in newspapers today is the great resignation is what yeah. they're calling this, this period, right? I think a few weeks ago, one-on-one, you and I were chatting, we talked about that. So what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you're sharing it now, but what are some more detailed thoughts on the great resignation? And if you were running a business or giving advice to a business owner, or, you know, a lot of obviously our main audience here at Charity Charge are individuals running nonprofits, which are in a sense by nature impact driven, but you and I both know there can be a lot of mixed signals that organizations can send. There can be internal strife and bureaucracy and stuff that could burn out employees. So talk about the great resignation and what are ways that, you know, you would advise companies or nonprofits to think about how they can better, you know, improve their engagement with their stakeholders. So for me, especially given my, my master's in international studies and economics. So oftentimes I put an economic frame on a lot of things. But I think there's a- That makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's how my brain works. Yeah. But for me, there's an inherent promise in the economic system that we've built that is at the core of a lot of that dissatisfaction and distrust. And that inherent promise, you can actually read. If you, It's really fascinating to go back and read economists and others predicting what life would be like in 2021 in the 1940s and the 1950s and before that time period. And you know there there are articles and you know opinion pieces and papers written about this idea that productivity will continue to increase and one day will be so productive that you can do a job instead of in forty hours in two get paid the same and live your life and there's kind of this inherent promise in our economic system that we all kind of internalized I think it became a part of our culture this idea essentially that if you work hard you get rewarded. And what's happened in reality in our in our economy is that productivity has increased, but wages have not, and rewards for work have not increased for ordinary people. And so I think a lot of the dissatisfaction comes from the idea that COVID-19 just put it in stark relief that not only for a lot of workers, especially essential workers, healthcare workers, um, but really everyone getting burned out, not only is that promise not being fulfilled, but now you're adding an extra layer of danger. Not only do I have to go to work, be productive, and my salary is not going up commensurate to the profits that a company might be making, but my life and the life of my loved ones and my coworkers could literally be in danger. And I think that that just fundamentally caused people to lose trust. And we already have a deficit of trust. I think people are already on the verge of losing trust in almost everything around us uh, for a lot of reasons that you know I'm not necessarily an expert in. It's just a feeling. Right. And so I think that what companies need to do is realize that things like corporate responsibility, one, this idea, and I'll define corporate responsibilities, I define it, which is, and as we define it within my work at Salesforce and with other work that I do, it is just this idea that your stakeholder capitalism, essentially, this idea that you need to infuse impact 
on your stakeholders, whether those are your employees, the community, the environment, into the work that you do, into your products, into how you operate, into how you interact with communities, how you do procurement. And this idea that that's optional is out the window. Because people have lost trust, companies really need to, no matter what their size, their staffing, they need to think very critically around how they are fulfilling that promise, how they are taking care of the well-being of their employees, so that they, we can begin to see some of that promise fulfilled, some of that promise that if you work hard, you can get more benefits, you can get uh, more time off, more time to spend with your family, to spend on things that are important to you, and to live a good life. And corporate responsibility to me is part of how we can get to that promise. I'm obviously a sort of insider. I work with a lot of big companies and small companies on those strategies. And you can't drink the Kool-Aid. It can't just be public relations. It can't just be a scorecard. You can't just do the bare minimum to get a good ESG score so you can um, environmental social governance so you can raise more investment dollars. It has to be a genuine effort. Um, but to me, that is how we begin to address this concern that's at the heart of that great resignation that, you know, what is the purpose of my work? Why am I coming here every day? Do you care about me? Do you care about my coworkers who are who become my friends and who are a community that I'm a part of? And when I work more, am I going to feel supported like I have space to live my life? And all of that becomes crucial to modern business. Now, again, I think that's the sea change that we're going to see endure after COVID-19. And work from home is the biggest manifestation of it, but it's not just about working from home. What are some of the specific things you can talk about in your work at salesforce.org that you're, that, you're, that you're able to share to just give some perspective on some of the initiatives and sort of how you've been approaching things over there with your team? Yeah, so within salesforce.org, um, we have three different verticals. So we have our education cloud, our nonprofit cloud. Uh, and as of four years ago, I was a director of product and helped to design with an amazing team, our philanthropy cloud. And it is at core an employee engagement platform that we built in partnership with United Way Worldwide. And so we get that product into the hands of uh, companies of all sizes and they use it to create a sense of community. So employees can log in and many of the listeners, your listeners have probably encountered these programs in one shape or one form or another. Uh, you can volunteer, you can give, you can access matching dollars, you can engage with community. And we wanted to build a platform that was something like the Spotify or Netflix for social good. So unlike other platforms where you might go over here to volunteer, you might go over here to give, you might go over here to read about a cause, to engage with a campaign, that's a crowdfunding campaign. We took all of those different types of engagement, put them into one platform, and then we use Salesforce's artificial intelligence to help match a, a means of engagement, a channel for engagement with a person who might be most interested in it. So if you love the arts, you're going to see lots of opportunities to volunteer, give, read stories about arts organizations in your community. And so once we built that platform, we began to go to market. And it's my role as leader of our industry solutions team to understand how companies think about their corporate responsibility, not just now, but potentially, potentially two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, so that we can use that knowledge to drive our thought leadership, how we are able to help our customers with best practice, as well as our product roadmap. What features might our customers want to address not only the world of today, but the world of tomorrow? And then as part of that work, we're a platform. Salesforce builds everything as a platform. 
So I then can look around the entirety of Salesforce's technology stack, our entire platform, all of our other clouds, such as sustainability cloud, work.com, and think about how we create connections between philanthropy cloud and any of those other tools to create a real platform for social change so that you're not just getting philanthropy cloud, your experience with philanthropy cloud for your employees, the community you're trying to engage is accentuated by our other platform solutions so that you can manage the data in our CRM. You can use Trailhead to educate your community or employee champions about how they can create effective volunteer opportunities. And so it's really about thinking about how we can use our whole platform as a means to uh, change and support the work that our philanthropy cloud customers do. So that's what I, that's the world that I, I live in. And a lot of that, you know, what's been interesting is just seeing how impact now lives at intersections. So before a lot of the individuals and com companies and communities who are doing social good work, work in silos. You might have a sustainability team living over here, an employee engagement team over here, your corporate foundation over here, your employee well-being and the benefits you're investing in, completely separate concern run by a completely different team. But increasingly, we have uh, organizations that are saying, how can we, for example, have our employees communicate their steps to us? And when they meet certain step goals, we are one, supporting them, we're giving them a Fitbit, but we can also unlock matching dollars that can go to specific charities through Philanthropy Cloud. So that we're tying wellness or well-being and engagement together or how can we create employee resource groups where employees are encouraged to create communities around identity and then connect or a shared cause shared passion like the arts or the environment and then take that energy use it to engage other employees within the company and engage our external partners so um, i helped put together a campaign working with our internal bold force group to put content into philanthropy cloud supporting the trevor project uh, in support of our um, e equality group um, and their engagement with the Trevor Project. So that's the kind of trends that we're seeing, just this idea that impact really is increasingly going to live at the intersections between previously siloed activities. When you talk about all this, I'm, first of all, I think it's super cool from the Salesforce perspective in the sense that Essentially, you're, and there are obviously a lot of other initiatives that Salesforce does um, that are philanthropic and CSR in nature. Yes, there's a I, whole team that leads some amazing work. Sure. But what's super cool is the philanthropy cloud is in CSR initiative of Salesforce, but I'm stating the obvious. It then becomes the CSR initiative and tool for the end customer that is using it, right? The business yes. is using it. So it's just really neat that like you're... The creation of your product and the go-to-market of it is CSR for Salesforce. And then it just is empowering all these groups to sort of, I don't want to say get CSR in a box, but it's really helping make it very accessible for, for companies to be able to, to, to have this sort of impact and make it easier to have opportunities for their employees to give back or volunteer or learn more about social causes, et cetera. It's, it's, it's a pretty yeah. cool I mean, that's the goal and that's the promise of social enterprises. That's the, the promise of these silos breaking down. Every, really everything we're talking about, that's the promise of creating a better capitalism. You know, even the work that you're doing at Charity Charge, how do we, one, create a product that can provide livelihoods, that can grow, that can help support communities through its grant making or whatever you want to do as the organization grows. 
But also when your product gets into the hands of nonprofits, many of them have issues with cash flow and they're then able to have their impacts to do their work. And so it's the same, it's the same story. It's the idea of a new economy, the idea that business isn't just business. It's, I mean, our Salesforce CEO, Mark Benioff says, the business of business is changing the world. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful statement that represents a hope that business can be more, that it can be a platform for change, that it can drive impact in addition to creating opportunities for people. Um, because you can never forget about this, just the base idea that it's very important for people to have jobs, to have incomes, to be able to provide for their families. Um, and so the breaking down of those silos is really that hope that to me, we can, you know, what's really interesting about it is, you know, when I really let myself uh, kind of imagine the kind of world that all of this work that we're all involved in and care about could create, it does start to sound more like those science fiction worlds that I loved. Um, and that part is really cool to me. But it's also the horizon is very long. It's going to take a lot of people believing, a lot of effort, a lot of different organizations, a lot of different companies working to change perceptions, change how they do business to get us there. Mm -hmm. um, but I see it being a, a march down that path. So in times that are dark, that's something that gives me a little hope. Well, what you're saying is super inspiring. I would love, though, to get your opinion on what are the what's going on on the opposite side? What are the forces and powers at play that would be preventing this? And I think about macro challenges that we that I believe are very real around the environment and global warming. I think about, um, you know, the candidly on either side, but the partisanship of politics. Yeah, you know, what are what are what you've painted is super inspirational, and it's very clear that there are solutions out there, and companies, including Salesforce and many many others, doing great things. But what are the real threats and challenges? Do you think? I, I think the biggest threat to all of this is just trust. Okay, now I kind of referenced it before, but there is just simply no trust. The the levels of societal trust have just plummeted. And I don't know how to address that. You know, I think that social media plays a part and I, I love social media. I actually love Instagram and I enjoy Twitter, but I do think that it makes it much easier to disseminate disinformation. And when we think about what we know about human behavior, once that disinformation is out there, it's, you know, it's off to the races and it's very difficult to then come back and correct the record. And all of that just creates distrust. Um, and then that distrust becomes a distrust in institutions that increasingly includes almost every form of institution. And when we think about what institutions are, it's easy to say, oh, the government, but the government is us in a democracy. It's easy to say business, but businesses are communities of people who can determine the structure of the business that they, they help to support and operate in. And so when we distrust the institution and disengage with it, we lose an opportunity to be part of making it better. And that's what scares me. And I try to lead by example, I recently, so within DC is not a state and it, yet it should be, um, but I recently, I like to walk the walk, um, walk the walk of my talk. I don't really know what phrase I'm looking for there, but I recently ran for office and won a seat here in DC on the equivalent of what would be the DC House of Representatives. I was just sworn in last week. 
Wow, congratulations. I had no idea. Thank you. Thank you. So for me, it's about a lot of folks run, a lot of those positions are completely unopposed. And do people, when people don't trust something, they don't engage with it. And so that's that's my fear. Are more people going to, we already had a, an issue with people running for office, people trying to get involved, people trying to volunteer. But if they don't trust the institutions that help drive a lot of that, they're not gonna show up to the table. And that's my fear. My other fear is whose world will we be creating? And this is a, this is a big question that I put to big philanthropy whenever I have the opportunity. We, diversity, equity, inclusion, is particularly important when we think about the idea of creating a better world. So if you're a foundation or a company and you say we want to create a better world, imagine, for example, someone walking into a, a specific community, the community where you or any of your listeners live, and saying, I'm going to make this community a better place. And when you look at the board of that organization or that institution or the individual who's saying that, if they have no connection to the community itself and to the issues on the ground, how can they make something better that they don't truly understand? And so when we think about the picture for diversity, equity, inclusion within the philanthropic and charitable space, there's not a lot of diverse voices. There are not a lot of rural voices. There's not a lot of voices of people of color. And yet those institutions say they wanna make communities in the world better. They then need to create channels to get feedback, to hear the voices of people who know the problems on the ground. That's how we build anything good, right? You know how to build a good product is listening to your customers. So if we really wanna create a better world, we need to create channels so that diverse people can be a part of shaping that. And I worry that we sometimes are not, particularly when we think about public policy and we think about how big philanthropy and charity operate. I think those are all fixable problems. And I think there are a lot of people who, who see it and have a passion for helping to address it. But that is the big risk to me. I appreciate you sharing with that. And I agree in many respects. I'm just so impressed with everything that you're doing. It's hard to, to keep a handle on it. You are such a go-getter. It's so, it's so amazing. And I really appreciate you coming on here just to chat. And well, my pleasure. Again, we've known each other for a long time, but it's cool to record this as an episode and be able to push it out to our network. Yeah. I want to come back to round out this episode to, to your book, dreams deferred. And one of the things that we didn't touch on, but as in the beginning of the interview, as you were talking about your journey, you know, I, I wrote down the two words curious and, and eager to learn. But what I think is so interesting about your journey is that you also jumped in and you got started. And then through that process, like you are where you are now. And you, you sort of said you had this epiphany later on, but it was, you, you developed the self-analysis by putting yourself out there and accepting one role and then learning more about yourself and then moving on to another role and, you know, so on and so forth, which I think all, often can be lost. I mean, I felt it very much so. And I think it's true of especially people that are coming out of college or wherever they are in their life, but early on and trying to figure out what to do, they want to get it perfect. And I think they feel a lot of stress, but that getting to a point where you can put yourself in a place to have the self analysis or have the process elimination is ultimately where I got to what I'm doing now, because yeah. I was so, I wanted it to all be perfect. So I'm curious if you can talk about that and like any sort of parting words to, to people that are getting started in their careers. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is nothing is perfect at launch, right? It's very funny that we understand that when we're building products or we're building a marketing campaign, you understand you're going to have to iterate. It's going to be the same in your life. You have to start with something that you may, and I like to break it down into percentage terms. I found it very helpful when I do mentoring or anything else as a volunteer to just talk about this idea that when your first job, you may be doing 10% of spending 10% of your time on things that are you actually enjoy, that are actually bringing you a feeling of purpose. And that's okay because you don't even have a sense. You haven't, you're, you're still getting experience. You don't have a sense of where you want to go, what kinds of things you can engage with or will add value to in a way that's satisfying to you. So understanding that and being okay with it is really important. And then a career, the last thing I'll say is a career isn't a job. A lot of people confuse a job with a career. And so they see a career path as kind of the old consulting or legal model where I'll be an associate and then a partner and then a managing partner or what have you. But in truth, some of the most interesting and impactful and powerful careers, you go on LinkedIn and read the you know, history of someone who you admire, who's got a very interesting career, especially in social impact. They might've worked over here and then they might've done this completely seemingly unrelated thing. And yet a career is that story, that narrative of the common threads of all those experiences and what was learned and what it then enables a person to do at a given point. And all of that takes time. It's not perfect at launch and you don't want it to be because the experiences that I, the things that I wanna do now and that I get excitement from, some of them didn't even exist when I first graduated and around the same time as you in 07, there were no NFTs, you know, prior to this, we were talking about NFTs. There are careers, there are roles. And as technology continues to advance at an exponential pace, this is gonna be even more so the case for new graduates. So it's okay to kind of iterate on your life and understand that a career arises from that iteration. It's not something that has to be set in stone. And it's something that can always be and should always be infused with purpose. No matter what kind of job you're doing or where you are, you can infuse your work with purpose. Those are the things I like to remind myself. And if you are a new grad or anyone um, thinking about kind of a next step, I, I always like to, to say that as a reminder. And also, I know things are hard right now. So I just like to always reiterate that, you know, stay strong. It, 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 I, I try not to be cheesy, but it is very, the world is very hard right now. And just don't give up understand that you can iterate and just get close to your dreams and work your way to some to a career that you want over time. Um, so a little bit of a rambling uh, set of uh, kind of thoughts, but I love it. Really helpful. And I'm always here as a resource as well. Well, to that end, um, we're going to put a link in the blog to your book, Dreams Deferred. What are other ways people can learn more or follow along. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Brandilyn B. Um, you can follow my, my burgeoning sort of volunteer political career. that might be of interest. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Brandilyn Barnett or Facebook. And I am uh, very much open to hearing from anyone who wants to talk. I love it. So again, I, thank you so much, Brandilyn, for coming on, being a guest. Brandilyn is the author of Dreams Deferred, the lead corporate social responsibility, excuse me, yeah, excuse me, the lead of corporate social responsibility industry solutions within salesforce.org's philanthropy cloud and the founder of Democratize Ventures 
and a friend and someone that I hope to um, certainly be friends with for, for many decades to come. So thank you so thank much you. for your time today. Thank you. My pleasure.